And uh, I guess now we will get into the Word of God. So uh, I'm going to be reading momentarily from Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, if you have them, you want to turn there, you can get ready for when we read from there in just a moment. So as I was um, just preparing and praying, you know, recently trying to figure out what uh, I felt God wanted to, to share with you guys today, uh, I eventually just my heart was drawn to this passage. And what we're going to be doing today is, is a really practical word, okay? It's, it's just about one of those real life, how do we live in these moments? Because it's no secret right now that our world's a little crazy right now, <laughs> you know, just trying to fill up your tank with gas or buying groceries. Just, you know, practically speaking, it's a little hard to live right now, you know, and maybe emotionally and mentally and, you know, all this, you know, spiritually, it's, it's just difficult. And I just really felt God, you know, wanted to, to say to all of us today that, you know, if we can find a way to focus on him, he wants to practically help us in our lives. I mean, look at Jesus and you think about the ministry that he did when he was on earth. He wasn't just walking around spouting off spiritual axioms, you know, just, you know, talking in these grandiose terms about big ideas. He had those, you know, he said wonderful things, um, you know, things like, you know, man can't live on bread alone, but on the word of God, you know, that kind of like he gave us those all time truths. But guess what? He also healed people's physical problems, right? You know, he, he just, he was there for people. He, he cared when his friend Lazarus died. You know, like he knew he was about ready to bring him back from the dead and see him again, but the Bible still says he wept. You know, like he, he wasn't out of touch with life. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, I think, um, one of the main reasons why, and uh, I, I don't remember the exact quote, Athanasius, a church father from hundreds of years ago, uh, said something along these lines in his book on the incarnation, but he was speaking about why Jesus became man. Like, why didn't he just die for us and raise to life and that was it? Like, why did he live for 33 years? And he said, because his, his purpose was more than, than simply, I say simply, although it was a big thing, simply saving our souls. That's a big thing. It's not simple, but you understand what I'm saying. But he also wanted to show us life. You know, he lived life with us. He displayed life in front of us. And that was practical in a lot of ways. I mean, like I said, he healed people. What did he do when, when, when people were hungry? He, he broke the, the bread and the fishes and, you know, fed people. He just gave them food. And so God desires to meet with you on a practical level, okay? He desires to help you in a practical way to, to not, you know, to get through the struggles of life, whatever they may be. He wants to be there with you on that level. So I, I want us to approach that. From this angle today, and I just I think it's especially important on Father's Day, and I know myself as a father, I have a family to provide for, and and whether you're trying to provide for kids or you know a big family or heck maybe you're just trying to provide for yourself right now, <laughs> like you know if you're a provider right now, and all of us are in some way, shape, or form, you know providing in some way, that is difficult right now as we watch grocery prices skyrocket and gas prices skyrocket and just. All these things, the cost of everything. And, you know, I, I feel bad. I just, I had this talk with my kids recently. And, and I'm just like, I just want you to know this summer is going to maybe be a little different than other summers. Like, you know, other summers when we went to amusement parks and like did fun things and go to the movies. And that might not happen as much this summer. We've really had to pull back on that. And it's just, it's a choice we've had to make. And I, I felt, you know, it hurt me to say that. I'm like, I want to have lots of fun with you guys. 
but, you know, there might be a little more sitting at home than usual, you know, this summer. And it's just, as a father, I don't enjoy that. I, I enjoy just bringing joy to my kids' hearts and doing things as a family. And so just all of that, we're all trying to navigate that right now, you know, and we're having to adjust our lives uh, accordingly. And, you know, it's just, it's financially hard. It just really, really is. And, I mean, it's, it's so financially hard that, I don't know if you guys know this, I was, um, I was actually robbed the other day. So the, yeah, I mean, the, the, the perpetrator looks suspicious of like a gas pump, you know. Um, so, and the cop rolled, yeah, okay, yeah, so. And, uh, you know, then I was driving around, I saw this. I don't know if you guys saw this in town yet. So you see those gas prices, they're looking pretty bad. <laughs> so, oh, it's brutal out there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, as Brian mentioned, it is my wife's anniversary, and my wife and I's anniversary today, so I told her this morning, I was like, you know, honey, I'm going to take you somewhere expensive. We're going to go fill up our tank of gas. So <laughs> off to the gas station with us today. So no, no, it's, hey, I, I, it was cool though. I, I actually, I did find gas for $1.29. I got gas for $1.29 this week. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it was at Taco Bell, but uh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Comedy hour's over. I'm sorry, but Right, it's either laugh or cry at these prices, right? So let's let's try laughing instead of crying. In all seriousness, back to it. You know, as a father, as a parent, as just a person, right now, it's hard, and um, it's it's hard not to let worry and anxiety overrule us. And that's where I really want to hit at today, because when we're faced with times like this, when things are a bit of a struggle, you kind of have, you know, you, you hit this fork in the road. And if you go down that path of anxiety and worry, it's going to get you in a place where God is not going to be able to use you in the way he desires to. Because how many know whatever's going on in this world, whatever the situation is, it hasn't changed God's plan for you, right? It hasn't changed his ability to work through you, right? I mean, that hasn't changed anything. I mean, read the word of God. And what you see, what God has done through his people in some of the most trying times in history is truly incredible, right? And, and, and so we take that into consideration. How on earth can we let a little financial struggle, I know it seems big, but in the grand scheme of things, how can we let you know, the anxieties of this world right now rob from us all that God wants to do when it doesn't need to? So... It doesn't change. He doesn't change. And that's where I want to get to today. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 24. I'd like to read through this. This is a very familiar passage. Uh, I'm guessing most, if not all of you, are familiar with this passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. Uh, But, so this is going to be some revolutionary passage or that kind of thing. But it is timely. It is timely. And, And God has been bringing this word specifically to my heart lately. And it is so needed right now for us as fathers, as parents, as providers, as people just trying to get along in this world. And so I just want you to to listen to the words of this passage and allow this to speak to your heart today. Verse 24 starts like this, says, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one, hate the one, and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, And Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, 
Because of this truth, all right? The word therefore is because of what I just said, because of the truth of the fact that you can only have one master in life, right? God or money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this right here. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your lifespan? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Lord, we thank you for this um, timely word today, this word that we need in these moments of uncertainty in our lives. I just thank you for this. I just pray you'll speak it to our hearts. And I pray as we hear from your word today that anxiety and worry and concern can just begin to leave our body and be replaced by the confidence that you give us in you, our Father. Amen. Amen. So to, to start this out, like I said, we have a choice. You know, you, you do what you can. You know, you have the money, you have the resources you have to work with. You make the best choices you can. Um, but at some point, you get to this why in the road, right? And you have a choice. Am I going to worry over the things I can't control? Because perhaps you're going to get stretched beyond a point where you don't feel you can handle it financially or emotionally or whatever. It doesn't have to just be about finances today. It's just anything in your life where you feel like you've hit the end of what you're capable of, okay? You can then go down that road of worry and anxiety and overworking yourself and just how, how is this going to happen? Or the Bible says you can lean on your father who knows what you need. And this is where I think so many of us probably are at right now, is at that why in the road. And we're teetering between wanting to trust God and knowing that we should, but yet still all that anxiety just dominating so much. I know I find myself there a lot right now. And so here's what my first encouragement is to us today. We need to find a way to draw a line between wisdom and worry. All right, and here, here's what I mean by that. So I'm going to start, I guess, with a disclaimer. All right, so we're going to talk today, obviously, about not getting too anxious or too worried about how you're going to care for yourself and your family and provide for yourself and all that kind of stuff. Easier said than done, I know, right? Um, and just how to, how to beat that worry and how to just get that out of our lives. 
Um, but here's a disclaimer. This doesn't mean you now have a license to be stupid with your money <laughs> or your resources, okay? So there's, there is a place for wisdom. So this passage, you know, by God saying, I know what you need and I'll take care of you, he's not saying just live like a moron and don't worry about anything, right? He's not saying that because there's plenty of places in Scripture that talk about being wise, you know, being diligent, working hard, being smart. Read the book of Proverbs, and it talks about all the time, you know, the, the wise prosper and the foolish, well, you know, they get whatever. And it's just, it's endless throughout the book. So God obviously is saying, be wise. And, or in other places, talking about being a good steward, a good manager of the resources that God's put in your hands. And it's just a wonderful mentality to go through life with, right? To understand what I have isn't even mine to begin with. It's God's. And he's allowing me to manage it on his behalf. And he, he trusts me with what I have. So there, this is not a license to be stupid because we know stupid costs money, right? Uh, I think Dave Ramsey uses this. I don't know if you ever listened to him, but he, he uses the term sometimes. We've all paid stupid tax, right? You know, we've done something dumb. We've made a bad decision and you got to pay for it. And he, he calls it stupid tax. So we've all paid it. And guess what? If you're dumb, you're still going to pay stupid tax. All right. So this isn't a license to not be wise. But this is a place where you want to now draw a line between wisdom and worry. And that's, that's, that's basically, this is a line I learned when I was a kid. You've probably maybe heard this little rhyme before, but I've carried this with me my whole life. And it goes like this, do your best and let God do the rest, right? Very simple, very simple thing. I remember in Sunday school learning that and my teacher saying that. Do your best and let God do the rest. And that's all I'm saying today with my first encouragement to you and to myself. I need to hear this just as much as anybody else is we do the best that we can. We're the most responsible that we can. We make the best decisions, the wisest decisions with what God has given us. But you will at some point, maybe you're not there now, but it, I'm sure you have been at times in your life and you will be in the future. You're going to come to that point where my best is given. I don't have anything left to give. You know, the resources are gone. The, the wisdom is gone. And, and by the way, that's another thing our Father wants to give us. Read the book of James. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask for it. You know, have faith and you'll have it, right? He, he desires, he's, he's, he's not a, you know, we, we can never have the picture of God as someone who's like holding on to all these things for us and he's like, you know, earn it down there, you know, maybe I'll give it to you if you're lucky, you know. He's like ready to just bless us. He wants to give us wisdom and take care of us. Like that's his desire. But I've also learned this over the years and, uh, you know, I, I, as a father, know this as well, you know, that, that God loves unconditionally, but he doesn't necessarily bless unconditionally, all right? So there is nothing that you can do that can separate you from his love. But he's not going to bless unblessable behavior. So he has what you need. He has blessings. He, has, he wants to take care of you. And he says, you do your part, and don't worry, I got my part. You know, this is, this is going to be handled. And he's, he, it's just ready. He's ready, willing, and he's ready to go with this. Keep that in mind. Don't forget that. About, you know, that, that's part, I believe, of why he chose to show us as a, himself as a father. And I mentioned that in my prayer earlier. He could have related to us in any way. You know, you know call me master or whatever, my little slaves. Like, I don't know. He could have done whatever kind of relationship he wanted with us. He chose father. That was how he wanted to relate to us. 
And he has shown over and over and over and over again in the word, in the word that that means lots of different things. You know, Hebrews talks about that means discipline, you know, that kind of stuff. But he has also repeated over and over that means as a father, I give gifts that I provide for you. And that is found throughout Scripture. He desires to give for you. That is his heart. He wants to bless you. And, uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, I may be repeating myself there a little bit, but it's just, I, I think that's a hard one for us to grasp because I know I find myself in places where I'm like, you know, I'm, I could talk to God right now. I'm sure he doesn't want to hear what I have to say, <laughs> you know. I look at the mirror in the morning, don't like what I see, and I mean beyond physical appearance and, you know, or whatever. I'm just like, I'm just not happy with myself. There's no way God would even listen to me, whether bless me right now. And that's not his mentality. The word doesn't go there at all. We go there. You know, we let the enemy bring us there. And it's, it's important to remember at his core who he is, who he desires to be in relation to us. And it's, and it's a giving, generous father. And so as this passage goes through, um, Jesus is, is speaking this, and, and he, he calls his listeners' attention to the birds. And um, he just says, look at them, you know. They, they're not planting fields and harvesting crops and building barns and doing all the things that, that you do, you know, getting up. Okay, actually, they do get up in the morning before us, but, you know, they don't have to set alarms, I guess, forcing themselves up to work and do all these, you know, breaking their backs and all this kind of stuff and work hard for provision. He said, they just do their lives and they're provided for. You know, what, you know, and how does God provide? I send rains. I make things grow. You know, the food that they need to eat, I take care of them. And this next line that Jesus says is just my favorite line in this whole part. And he says, are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the birds? I take care of them. But how much more do I love you than I love them? Remember that about God today. He's looking at you and he says, you're my favorite. He's looking at you and says, I love you more than anything else in this world. You are more beautiful to me. You are more amazing to me. You are more precious to me than any other aspect of my creation. You're first. You are great. When I created everything, when I got to creating human beings, that's the only time I said it's very good. The rest was good. I created you and I said it's very good. I created you in my image. Right from the beginning, he's just, as a father, you know, you're like me. You're in my image. I mean, don't forget this about God, how much he loves you. I take care of the birds, and you are so much more valuable to me. So much more valuable. Don't forget your place in his heart. So when you're at that why in the road, and you're like, do I go down worry, or do I go down trusting God? Here's why we don't need to worry. We don't worry, or we don't not worry, double negative, whatever, you get what I'm saying. So we don't not worry because it's not affecting us, but we we don't have worry because of who our Father is. That's the source of our (laughs) non-worry, our non-anxiety, you know, our peace, our confidence. That's where that comes from, not because of us, but because of him. Because he's our father. You know, it reminds me of um, when I was a little kid and uh, first started going hunting with my dad. 
And, uh, you know, so I don't know how old I was. I do remember, I, you can hunt when you're 12 is when you can actually start hunting. But I remember even younger than that, occasionally he would take me out and I'd sit by him in the woods or whatever. And I, I just, I remember getting there to the, to the, war, to the fo- forest or the woods, wherever we were going into. It's pitch black out still, right? It's dark. So you're going out there before the sun has risen. And, you know, what little kid wants to walk into the dark woods? <laughs> You know, I know I wasn't too certain about it, right? That was a little scary. I just wasn't, you know, that wasn't my idea of fun, of walking into woods dark and, yeah. But I really, I remember having that thought that I'm like, but it's okay because my dad's here, right? Like, I wasn't worried. I wouldn't have walked in there by myself, right? But I didn't have worry because he was walking in with me. And uh, he would always be right in front of me. I remember he had his little flashlight, and, and he would, you know, point down and say, watch out for that. Don't trip on that branch. You know, don't watch this branch. And he'd put, you know, don't trip on the root, whatever. And he'd just find his little flashlight as we're both walking into wherever we were going to in the woods and just kind of guide me through that. And uh, I, I do remember being a little apprehensive. I'm like, it's in the middle of the night. You know, I can't see anything. But he's there. He's got the flashlight. So I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have overriding anxiety because I could handle that moment because on myself I couldn't. But I was okay because my dad was there, right? He was the one guiding me into the woods. And that's the place that God says you can be. You don't have to worry about this because I'm here. You know, Jesus said something similar to his disciples. Remember the story where they're out on the boat, Jesus is sleeping in the back, and, um, and uh, the storm comes up, right? The disciples are fearing for their lives. And Jesus is still back there sleeping. I'm impressed by that, by the way. So, but we have to remember the disciples, a lot of them, maybe most of them, I'm not sure I, uh, exactly how many, but most of them were fishermen, right? So they, spent, they made their living on the water. That's what they did, okay? So when the text says they feared for their lives, this is not an exaggeration, all right, these are, these, these are sea dogs, right? They're, they're used to being on the water, and they know when a storm is beyond their ability to, to control the boat, right? So their fear is genuine. You know, this, this isn't just some random thing. They are familiar with how to operate a boat, and they are fearing for their lives. You know, so they go back and they wake Jesus up. He's like, don't you care? We're going to die out here? You know, a little, little dramatic, but, uh, but I'm guessing, it was, again, it was a bad storm, Right? And Jesus' first question, why are you afraid? <laughs> yeah, why are you afraid? It's because we're going to die. Have you seen what's happened out here? I'm a little afraid of death, whatever. Why are you afraid? You know, and he, he's just basically saying, if I'm here, there's no reason for this fear that you have. You know, it's, just, it's just not existent. It doesn't need to be there. Now, eventually, he calmed the storm, right? But he, he, before that storm was even calmed, is when he asked that question, why are you afraid? It's not like he stood up, calmed the storm, and said, see, there you go, you don't have to be afraid anymore. No, he, he said that before the storm was calmed, right? And, and so, again, our, our lack of worry isn't because we're not being affected by the storm, all right? So there, there are plenty of times where God just miraculously steps in and says, problem's gone, poof. And I love when those moments happen, and he's done it so many times in my life, and I'm sure you guys have testimonies, too, of just the miraculous works of God. But we also can't forget, you know, those passages like in James, going back to him again. This is right along with that wisdom passage I referenced earlier, when he says, consider it pure joy when you face trouble, when you face trial of many kind. All right, first of all, every time I read that, I'm like, what is wrong with you, James? Like, that's, 
You know, he's like some kind of whatever. I don't know. You just enjoy pain or something. Like, what is wrong with you? And he goes on to say, because, because, you know, God will take that. And through that, you build endurance. You build strength. You're grown through that. You become perfect. You become stronger. You become better because of the trials, because of the tribulation, because of the whatever that you're going through. All right? So it is not biblical. It really isn't to believe that God is just going to move every mountain out of your way. It's not biblical to believe that, by the way. Okay? I know there's, a, there's people out there preaching that, you know, by faith, just every mountain cast into the sea, and, you know, you can just, easy life. You know, that, that's not biblical. All right? But what is biblical, and sometimes God does that. That is biblical. He is a miracle worker. He can take those things away from you. But, more, but I've found more often than not, and it's very biblical to also understand that sometimes God says, there's a mountain, Start climbing, <laughs> you know. But you can make it because I'm here, all right? I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to stand at the bottom and be like, good job, yep, yep, keep going. Oh, look out for that falling. Ooh, that must have hurt, you know. That's not God. You know, he's, he's with us the entire way, right? So sometimes he moves the mountain. Sometimes he says, get your butt moving up the mountain, right? But either way, we don't have to fear of what's in front of us. Because he's here. He has the power to remove it. He has the power to get us up it. He has the power to do all of those things. And that's why we don't have to fear. And that is the beginnings of finding confidence amid this deteriorating world that we find ourselves right now. All right, Because this, this world right now, turn on social media, turn on the news, whatever, just talk to your friends, it is full of pessimistic thoughts. And rightfully so, right? You know, just, you know, how bad is this going to get? Oh, I can't put gas in my tank anymore. I just, I can't do this. Oh, this is getting so bad and there's no end in sight. And, 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 and you know, all that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying these are lies, right? All of that is true. But it is time for us as the church to change that conversation, to change it into this is bad. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. You know, this, this is really hard, and I can't wait to see how God's going to bring me through it. I'm excited to see the miracle that's going to happen here. I remember, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, I was, we were going through a, a, a pretty hard time financially, and it was just one of those where looking at the budget, and at the end of the, end of the month, it just, you know, wasn't there. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't going to be there. And it, it, was, it was almost like just getting funny at some point. I don't know, I just remember laughing at certain points because, when the budget start running out, like these checks just start showing up, you know, like my aunt would just send me this. Hey, I just felt like sending you 150 bucks just because God laid it on my heart. And Oh, look, my budget was $147 short this month. You know, or it just, I can't even explain to you how many times it happened. It was funny because my mom and dad were going through a similar time. And I just, I remember stories from them about how, you know, they were at church and all of a sudden she gets home and she's like, there was a $50 bill in her purse. Like someone just must have like slipped it in there just to bless her. And, and, and so it was almost getting to the point every time we called one another, it was just to like share a story of something cool God did, you know, to provide for us. And uh, we were almost, I remember a couple times I answered the phone. I'm like, oh, what cool thing did God do this time? And it started getting exciting. And I just, I'll, I'll never forget that time in life when, when I was struggling the most, I got to see God hold my hand the most and bless me through it the most. And uh, he just, he taught me not to worry through it. And it was just, it is very cool. But that's what the, that kind of confidence that God is about to do something, that expectation 
That is what the world needs to see from us right now. That is what they need from us. And, and fathers, is that not what you want your kids to see from you? I want, I want my kids to learn that from me. And I'm guilty as charge of probably, you know, too often being up there being like, oh, it's getting so hard. The price is right. I'm saying it all the time. <laughs> I was grocery shopping with, with Leah and, and Cammie the other day. And, you know, after every item we walk by, because we're getting ready for vacation, we go to our cabin. And so we have to bring all the groceries with us. So we did our big grocery shopping yesterday. yesterday. And I'm walking down the aisle and I'm like, oh, that went up 30 cents. I'm like, oh, that went up $3. And Cammie, she's like, why do you say that for everything, Dad? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, she's kind of called me on it right there. I'm like, I'm just pointing out a fact. I'm not complaining. <clears throat> you know, but. But I, I want them to know, and don't we as fathers want our kids to know that we can be confident. Like, that's, that's what I want to project. And anybody who, not just fathers, again, all of us have somebody watching, right? Is that not what we, what we want to project, that kind of confidence amid a deteriorating world? Only God can give you the ability to smile on a sinking ship. <laughs> and uh, it feels like we're on one right now, but that smile's possible. Man, and it's going to be contagious. I think the church can be, we are just poised right now as the church to do something really cool in our, in our society right now. Because when it gets bad out there, that's when God can do something incredible. And it's just, don't see this as, you know, Satan working his whatever out there and it's just getting so bad and, and it's just hurting us and oh, and all this kind of stuff. And just look out there. Just learn to see the opportunity that's before us of, of what we can project into this deteriorating world that's surrounding us. The opportunity's huge, practically speaking, and God will work in that way. As this passage continues, I love that God doesn't just leave us hanging there, right? He doesn't just say, don't worry, and that's it, okay? He then gives us a job. He says, first of all, I want to encourage you not to do something. Then he goes on and he says, but here's what I do want you to do. Because, you know, how many know, how's, how's the phrase go, you know, idle hands is the devil's playground or something like that. You know, God is not in the business of just telling you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and then just sit there and do nothing. No, then it's time to fill it up with something productive. So what does he say in verse, is it 33? He says, but strive first, or maybe your translation says seek first, depending on the one you're looking at. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So that's the, that's the exhortation. That's the command in this passage. First of all, don't worry. That's the thing we shouldn't be doing. But what should we be doing? Seeking first, striving first for the kingdom of God. So I want to hit two questions as we get into this concept here. The first one is, um, how do I know if I'm seeking first, or how do I know if I'm striving first for the kingdom of God first? And then second question is, what is the kingdom of God? What does that even mean? <laughs> and so I want to get into that a little bit, uh, because as, as us fathers, as us just Christians, every person in this room, as we're saying, okay, I don't want to be a person that projects worry, Okay, that's not what I want to project. I don't want to have anxiety over ruling my life with all these practical matters. But here's what I do want to project. I want to project that nothing is more important to me than seeking the kingdom of God. Because that's what it says right here. Job number one, strive first for the kingdom of God. And, and so what, what does that look like? So first of all, how do I know if I'm striving first for the kingdom? Um, 
Now, I want to look at that word that's translated strive or seek in some translations or look for. I don't know. There's a variety of ways that word can be translated from, from Greek into English. But at the root of that word is um, an understanding that it is a desire for something that comes out of like this felt desire, this felt need. I'm seeking for it, not just because I'm playing hide and seek with somebody, you know, I'm, I'm earnestly looking for it because it's a desire of my heart, because it's what I want, all right? And, and if you go back to the verse right before this, in verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles who strive for all these things, you know, all these things, you know, food, clothing, drink, all the just little necessities of life, you know, the, the, the people that don't trust in God, that's what they eagerly desire and strive for. And so, but we are to eagerly desire, strive and seek after the things of God, not after the things of this world. And, and so I want you to, to think about the things in your life that emotionally drive you, the things that you want out of this life. Um, and you're like, I just, oh, I got to have that, you know. And you can think what that rises up inside of you, what you desire. And, you know, everybody has passions. We all have things that we love. And, you know, this, this passage specifically is talking about needs, but it's, you know, food, drink, water, like, you know, those things we need. We can add fuel to the list now because that's the thing we're kind of talking about today that's getting really expensive or whatever. These are things you just need in life. But this word indicates that it's gotten to a place where it's beyond I need to meet my needs. It's gotten to a place where, like, these things drive me. Like, I want to look the best. And, and don't forget now, this is a sermon on the mountain. He just got done talking about, um, you know, the way we follow God versus the hypocrites. You know, he's kind of comparing hypocrites versus, you know, truly God followers. And what is the mark of a hypocrite in this passage? It's they do things so people can see them do it. Right? They want to stand out in the crowd. The hypocrites, they pray so everyone can hear. And they look at them, you know, stand up there. Look at me, how wonderful I am. And, and can that not happen with things like, you know, what we're eating and drinking and how expensive, you know, the most expensive food we buy and all the, how good our clothes look. And, you know, it can be driven by how we appear and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That can be the one, the thing that's driving it is it's a very self-centered, driven thing. So he's saying that kind of emotion that you can have about those things. You know, that's what the, the hypocrites, the unbelievable, that's the unbelievers, that's what drives them behind wanting these things. He said, you need to find a way to show that kind of drive and desire and emotion towards the kingdom of God. So how do I know if I'm seeking it? How do I know if I've gotten to a place where I'm striving for it first? And that it drives you emotionally. Okay, that... You spend more time in a day when you have a free second to thought, you know, to think, you know, thinking about how can I draw closer to God? How can I live my life for God? How can I seek the kingdom of God? You know, that's all that means. It just means that's what drives you. That's your desire. That's what gets your, you know, your, your eyes open in the morning. And that's what you want out of life is to go after God. Um, and a good indicator of that. Going back, this is before we read back to verse 21, still in this same passage, but before we started reading this morning, Jesus also makes this statement you've probably heard before. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Right? So a good indicator of what you're striving first for is uh, what, what you spend your treasures on. You know, I've heard it phrased another way. It's kind of a similar way of saying it. It's like, show me your checkbook. I mean, that's an old statement. Nobody really has checkbooks anymore necessarily. Some people might still. Show me your checkbook and I'll show you your heart. 
You know, it's like, what, what do you spend your time, your money, your resources, your energy? What, what does that go towards? Okay? And that is a really good indicator of what you're striving for. Okay? That the stuff that your resources get piled into. And so this is a really good way to take stock of your life. And, and there's some really, like I said, if you're looking at your checkbook or just pull up your bank statement online or whatever, and that's just a really practical way to say what matters to me most. You know, what, where is my heart? And, uh, you know, many, people, many times we don't look at our check statement because we don't like what it says and we just want to pretend it's not there <laughs> or whatever. But these are really good indicators, practical indicators of where our heart is. Um, you know, but Jesus, throughout the book of Matthew, talks a lot about this concept of the kingdom of God. And he tells, he tells a lot of parables. You've probably read these parables in the Bible in Matthew where he says, the kingdom of God is like, and he kind of shares this little story to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like. A few of those parables revolve around this idea, the idea of desire. You know, one, he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field, and he sells all that he owns, and he buys this treasure with joy. He buys this field with joy, and now he has this treasure. So, and... and uh, you know, I've seen some different interpretations of that past, and it's, and it's not trying to say like that, it's not saying that treasure that he found in the field is more valuable than everything he sold, and that's why he sold it. That's not what it's saying, like as far as financially speaking. You know, the idea is that, you know, he, he gave away everything he had because that thing was so precious to him. You know, that's, that's where his heart was. And, you know, there's several parables that just go around that concept, but part of the kingdom of God is about desiring it. So that desire's there. But now the question is always, all right, so what am I desiring, though? What is the kingdom of God? I want to tell you sometime, do yourself a favor and sit down and read through the book of Matthew with the, with the concept of the kingdom in mind, that you just want to like focus in whenever the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, a couple different phrases are used, or maybe it just says the kingdom. But that word is repeated, I think, something like 60 times or something like that throughout the book of Matthew. That's a very heavy theme and concept throughout the book of Matthew. And do yourself a favor and just see, I'll take you through it here a little bit, how that concept of the kingdom develops um, throughout that book and, and how, how Matthew just develops that concept of the kingdom from beginning to end. But really to understand what the kingdom of God is, you have to go back to the beginning of Scripture, early on with Abraham. All right, I don't know if you remember this, but um, God at one point called Abraham, and he, said a few, he made a few promises to them. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have lots of descendants. You're going to be a people. And then he kind of says this line, and this is probably the most important line in that entire calling that he gave to Abraham. He says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. And that, that's a really big one right there. And that, that was something that the, the Israelite people in the Old Testament, they, clinged, they clung on to that statement right there. Because they believed, as the people, as the chosen people of God, one of the things God wanted to do through them was to influence the entire world. All right? He wanted to set up a nation, this people, and, and there was just this concept that they would be a place where people would come and receive 
from them, that they would be a source of life, they'd be the source of God, there'd be this outpouring of it. And, and in reality, that's what we get, um, you know, whether it's figuratively speaking or literal, or it doesn't really matter how you take it, but all the way to the end of the Bible, when you get to Revelation, and at the end times, there's this picture drawn of the new Jerusalem that appears on earth, and it talks about everybody coming and going at all times, and it's always light, there's no darkness, and, and it's, it's, this, it's, it's the fulfillment of that original promise of you will be a people, you will be a nation, you will be a kingdom which blesses all people on earth. And that's, you know, that concept is fulfilled in Revelation with that new Jerusalem on earth where every nation comes and is fulfilled in this place. So that's something that the, the, the Hebrew people held on to throughout the Old Testament. And, and that's why when they went through their periods of struggle where they were really falling away from God and all of a sudden the Babylonians came in and they're, they're a people in exile. They're taken into captivity. They lost everything. Jerusalem's destroyed. The temple's destroyed. And that period of their history was really hard for some of them because you know, they had truly turned away from God and God had to you know, place that judgment upon them. Um, but it felt like that promise was gone. Like we were supposed to be the people on earth that changed the world. You know, we were supposed to be your chosen people where everyone comes and they're just changed and influenced by us and who we are. And that seems to be gone right now. You know, and so there was this, this period of several hundred years of when they went into exile and they never really became a people again. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And right at the beginning of Matthew, and, uh, in, ver- in chapter, what is it here? I have, chapter 3, he starts in. And it says that Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom was near. Okay? So this is what Jesus is talking about. Okay? This is what Jesus is talking about. It's a little different than perhaps what the Israelite people thought it was because originally it was thought to be you know, a physical nation on the earth that everybody would come and be blessed by, right? And then Jesus comes and he's still saying, yes, there is my people who will bless everyone on earth but this is going to be bigger than you thought it was. All right, This isn't restricted to a physical place on earth. This isn't going to be restricted to a, a physical people group on earth. All right, This is my people. And all of a sudden, this, this concept of the kingdom is now exploding. And because Jesus has come, the kingdom has been initiated. All right, And this is what we are called to now live into. So Matthew, he goes through and he develops this. So right off the beginning, it says Jesus went around proclaiming part of his message, the kingdom is here. So that thing that we've been long awaiting for from the time of Abraham, this is here. It's it, okay? So then, and a few chapters later, he says to his disciples, as he sends them out to go and do ministry, he says, you proclaim that the kingdom is here. So that's my message, and that's your message. And then it kind of starts getting into it. What is the kingdom? Chapters 18 and 19 of Matthew if you recall this story, there's a time where uh, little children were trying to come to Jesus and the disciples are trying to keep them away. And Jesus says, hold on a second. He pulls one of the little kids over. And this is when we really start getting deep into the teachings of the kingdom about what it is and how we live it out. And he pulls over one of these children and he says, I'm going to tell you the truth right here. Unless you become like one of these children, you won't be able to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so first of all, as as what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? It means that I'm childlike. Okay, so does that mean what? You know, does that mean I have to be like just trusting of my dad? Or you know, There's a lot of different ways you can take that. That's chapter 18. But then verse 19, he expands on this a little more. And we find out that he says, to be like a child, it means that those who are greatest in the kingdom 
are least of all. So, oh, okay, so he's saying that children are the least in society, okay? They're the lowest rung of the ladder is who children are, right? And uh, he's saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, part of being in that kingdom means that you are least. What does that mean? It means you are the servant of all. And from the rest of the book of Matthew, kingdom concepts get hit hard with the understanding of this is about serving others. Now go back to Matthew chapter 6, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's, that's where, you know, some of this kingdom concept is really starting to get blown up here in the beginning. And that is in the middle of a passage of saying, don't be trying to provide for yourself all the time, right? Because where does that worry come in when it's all me thinking, right? How can I provide? How can I get food? How can I get clothing? How can I, it's all about me. It's, it's turning in on myself. And so ultimately what we begin to discover here as this gets developed is Jesus is saying, here's really what the heart of the kingdom is. It's your father sees you. He knows what you need. And guess what? He's going to take care of you. And do you know what that means? That means you don't have to worry about yourself anymore. Be smart. Be wise. You know, don't pay stupid tax. But I will take care of you. And guess what that does? That frees you up to take care of others. Because if you are too worried about yourself, it robs you of your ability to serve others. Because you're going to get yourself in a place where you say, oh, woe is me. I can't help anybody. I can't even help myself. And you're going to be so consumed with your own needs that even the concept of meeting someone else's needs is just unreachable. It is so far out there. What can I do for you? I can't even do for me. And this is, this is why you, know, you really know that God wants to take care of you because your greatest calling is to be a servant, is to take care of other people. Think of others before yourselves. That is the greatest thing you've been called to be by God. Think about it. Right before Jesus was crucified, his last opportunity to be with all of his disciples in the upper room, right? Right before he you know, celebrates the first communion with them and reminds them of what's about to happen. What does he do? He washes their feet. That is, that is the last time he's really with all of his disciples together before the crucifixion. Because after that, when you know, he just takes the three of them into the garden and, and everything kind of goes crazy from that point. So Jesus knew this was it. You know, if I... And it, you know, maybe you've uh, you know, been in a place where maybe someone you loved, you, you, they were very sick. Maybe it was the last thing, time you were going to see them or something like that. Maybe you've been in a place where you ask yourself, what's the last words I, I want to say to this person? I think that's where Jesus was at. And obviously, after the resurrection, he got to talk to them again, and there was more. But he's like, I need to get something across. And Jesus said, if you guys don't get anything, I think this is his way of saying, if you don't get anything from me, get this. Just serve people right? Take care of them. And so what does he do? He takes the lowliest position of a slave. He takes a slave's duty and washes his disciples' feet. And of course, Peter's like, God, I'm going to let you do this. You're the Messiah. You can't wash my feet, you know? And uh, Jesus had to rebuke him a little bit and go through all of that. I mean, if that was, if that's so important that Jesus had to get that in. Okay, this has to be known by you before I go to the cross. You need to know this one. And it's also what I'm doing on the cross. I'm here to serve you, right? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, that is his whole purpose in life. And that's what he wants to pass on to us. And us 
overly consumed about our own needs robs that from us. You'll never be able to do it if you're in that place. So really, being a part of the kingdom of God means serving others. So now think about it, right? That goes right back. All, I said you have to go back to Abraham. What is, what, is, what, what is that most important line? All people on earth will be blessed through you. So what's Jesus saying? He's kind of like coming 180 or 360 or whatever. He's coming back to it, you know, in the New Testament, in this passage. And he is saying, it's going to happen now, all right? I'm going to take care of you so you can take care of everybody else. We're going to get to that place where you will bless all peoples on earth. You're going to be a part of that kingdom that I'm bringing today. And we're going to start unveiling in our lives. You don't have to worry about you anymore. I got you. You know, you take care of everyone else. And then we get to almost the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. And this is, I want to read a little passage here. So if you want to turn to it, I don't, I don't have it up on the screen, but Matthew chapter 25, it's the story of the sheep and the goats. And uh, this is kind of the last major teaching in the book of Matthew about, about the kingdom, okay? And uh, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is where it gets good. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or, or thirsty and gave you something to, to drink? And And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And that's where the concept of the kingdom culminates, right there. He says the kingdom is about helping others, serving others, meeting their needs. What message can the church send if we do this right now better than we've ever done it before? Well, we live in a world where everybody right now in our society is closing in on themselves, trying to protect what they've got, you know, because it is financially getting hard, you know. I mean, that's no joke when you're not sure where your next meal's coming from, you know, just to not worry about that. I mean, this is, this is serious. This is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. And, and the, you know, the world out there is doing what it has to do to survive in these difficult times. That's just, that's just the truth. But what kind of message is it going to send when, if all of a sudden the church, when things are at its hardest in our society, is more generous than ever before, is more giving than ever before? Where is this coming from? How is this possible? Right? It's like this should be. Like things are supposed to be getting tighter right now, not looser. You know, things are supposed to be locked down, not, not more giving and not more generous. But as I started this whole thing with, whatever's going on in our world, it hasn't changed God's ability to care for you. It hasn't changed God's ability to do what he wants to do through you. 
And we have to take this word with us today. We have to remember this today, that no matter what struggle is going on out there, God is God and his promise hasn't changed. So your problems, your financial problems, your emotional problems, whatever problems you have, your struggles are screaming one thing at you today. Look at me. (laughs) That's what they're screaming at you. Look at me. Look at me. Okay? That's what your problems are screaming at you right now. And you guys know that. (laughs) I know that. You know, they're screaming, look at me right now. And what is God saying right now? God is saying, look at others. Look at others. Look at others. Get your eyes off of yourself because my eyes are on you. And uh, that's just too many eyes. Me and you, we don't need all those eyes. My eyes are better than yours anyway. My eyes are on yours, on you. Your eyes need to be on others. Let's get to the business of the kingdom. So that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what it means to not have to worry about what's going on in our lives. And as I said a few times already, I think this is especially poignant on Father's Day when I know you fathers out there, you parents, you want your kids, the people looking up to you, to see certain things in you. And I, and I hope that my kids can see in me that no matter how hard things get out there, it hasn't changed who I want to be in regards to others and, and, and how I have the ability to fill in and to live for, um, for God and live out this kingdom. So where are your eyes looking today? What, what is grabbing all of your attention? If you're at that Y at the road, or maybe you're well past that Y on one of those roads, which one are you on right now? Are you on the one that is just consumed by worry, consumed by anxiety? You don't know where this is all going. You're not sure if you can make it. Maybe you really don't know where your next meal's coming from. I mean, that's a real practical thing, okay? And, you know, by the way, that's where the rest of us taking care of each other comes in. <laughs> that's part of not having to worry, because if we all have our eyes on each other, then well, that's pretty helpful, isn't it, right? So that's, that's kind of how that works out in a way. That's a lot of ways that God does it, is we take care of each other when we find someone else in need. But are you on that road? Are you on that path to worry? Or, you know, are you starting to head down the path that says, I know God's got me. I know he's got my back. I know his eyes are on me. And that, get, that frees me up to serve others. Don't let that be stolen from you. Don't let that be taken away from you. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to get you consumed with self. Because that is the most damaging thing. When you are so consumed with self that that is all you can see, that, that will just stop you in your tracks. That'll just stop you dead of anything you're trying to accomplish through God. Let us be the people who understand what it means to fulfill that promise when God said to Abraham, all people will be blessed on earth because of you. That's what the kingdom of God is bringing. If you guys want to stand with me. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we have a, a song that we're going to close with here. So if the worship team wants to come up and prepare for that. Lord, I just thank you so much for this word where you've promised to look out for us. Help us to hold on to those words today when Jesus looked at his listeners and he said, Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not worth more to God than the birds. God, I thank you today that you are the one who's looking out for us. 
I thank, I'm thankful that you are the one who's got my back. Because, God, I'm not too good at getting my own back. I'm not too good at always providing all of my needs for myself. But you're amazing at it. And so, God, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we find ourselves in a place of wealth where we really don't have financial worries or we find ourselves not sure where our next meals come from, help us remember one truth. Rich or poor, we can't afford not to serve others because that's who you've created us to be and that's how you intend to change this world. And I just pray you put that in our hearts today as the people of God, as your family, as your children. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.